0: How many of you know we planted a church in Southern California last weekend? Yeah, I got an update for you. There's a photo. That guy might look familiar. Uh, It was awesome, you guys. It was just, we were blown away by how many people came out and wanted to be a part. And so if you have any friends or family that are down there, uh, let them know about it. Help us spread the word. And if you want to, some people I was talking to said, we want to take a road trip down to visit the new church. So next holiday weekend, maybe we'll plan a big road trip or something. But um, really exciting stuff that, you know, becoming a family of churches and all the cool things that's going to mean for us and connecting with another community. And so we're really pumped. Uh, But also, who's ready for the holidays? Yeah. Who's got who's had at least one red cup so far? You know, not from here, but okay. well, we're really pumped in our family. We do a lot of holiday traditions. In fact, my brother's already watched four Christmas movies. And he watches one a day. In fact, last night, I, or two nights ago, I walked in and he was watching a Christmas mu- movie with Christmas music on. I'm like, is this a thing? Who does this, Isaac? He's like, I'm just really excited. But every year of the week, um, the day after Thanksgiving, we go get our tree, and we start decorating, and we really get into it. And so we were talking as a team around here, how can we start creating some holiday traditions for everyone as a church family? And so one of our ideas was let's have a Deck the Halls. Christmas decorating party the Saturday after Thanksgiving here. We're gonna bring kids, bring everybody. We're gonna blast some Christmas tunes in the lobby. We're gonna and in here we're gonna have uh, hot chocolate, maybe some eggnog. It's gonna be a good time. So we're gonna start that tradition this year. You guys ready for new traditions? Awesome. It's gonna be fun. So it just kind of marks the start of our holiday season together and It'll be good. So, hey, uh, if you'll join me, let's bow our heads and pray before we before we get started. God, I just thank you so much for everyone here, and I thank you that you desire to speak to us, to guide us, to give us um, wisdom and insight for our lives, and also about you. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning that you would just... Right now, begin preparing our hearts that we would see everything that you want to show us and that we would hear everything um, that that you desire for us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, hey, we we changed the name of our church. Anybody notice? Yeah? There's a big sign out by the freeway. In fact, some friends of mine texted me. They said, hey, we saw the sign from the freeway, so we're going to come by this weekend. And the new one, it's very noticeable now, isn't it? Because it's black and white, it's just like, boom, like you just see it driving down the road. So it's pretty cool. But well, one of the things we talked about when we, when we were sharing about renaming the church is that we weren't renaming it, we were being gifted a meaningful name that we believe is prophetic to our culture in this era, you know, in this time and in our nation and what, what the kind of church that our world needs. And so, you know, one of the things we also talked about is just that it's brave to follow Jesus. But why is it brave to follow Jesus? To be clear, we're not one of those churches that talks about the world this, the world that. We're not at war with culture. But we believe that Jesus came to redeem culture. And if you look around, you can see a lot of God-inspired creation all around us within our culture, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Because uh, if, if you're created by God, you're created in his image, and you can't help but reflect that in different ways. And it's kind of like if you have a, a child or if, if you're a parent or we're all a child of somebody, right? And whether you are, have a relationship with your parent, whether you um, are even just walking in the intentions they would have hoped for you, either way, you're still going to look a little bit like them. You're still going to sound a little bit like them and even act like them at times because they're your parent. And, and you can't help but reflect that image in different ways, uh, for better or worse. But... um. What is it about following Jesus that requires bravery in our society? And and why is it so counterculture to the point of sometimes being confrontational? And not for the sake of confronting, but because this lifestyle and this, this way of living is so different and so bold that it can't help but be noticed. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about something called chronological snobbery. I just want to unpack a little bit of the kind of more prominent views of today. So C.S. Lewis wrote about something called chronological snobbery, and, and it's the arrogant notion that the ideas of our own day are better than the ideas of the past just because they're in our day. Uh, Chronological snobbery feels that things are truer because they are newer, and so it is both irrational and naive. Have you noticed how important feelings are today? We make a lot of our decisions based on feelings. If it feels right, it must be right. If it feels bad, it must be bad. Um, But besides the fact that most people haven't really thought through their philosophy of life, um, we've defaulted to this idea that Everyone deserves to be happy, and happiness comes from our feelings. And and if we're not careful, we fall into a cycle of constantly pursuing the pursuit of feeling good, which is, in turn, what we think will make us happy. But when it comes to these ways that we form our ideas, and typically jumping on the latest trend or the newest thoughts, uh, it's pure arrogance to think that a thought in my head is any better than a thought in the head of Martin Luther just because I live in the 20th century and he lived in the 16th. So there's no logical connection between the truth of an insight and the century that God puts it in someone's mind. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually has a, a prescribes an antidote to this. He says, what if you know, one in every three of the books you read is from outside your century? Uh, because really there aren't any new ideas under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 10 says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. So we've got to try our best to really think through what we believe and how we live our lives and, and what it means to follow Jesus for today, regardless of what's popular or what's, what's currently trending in, um, in new ideas. So, this morning, that's what I want to talk about is what it means to bravely follow Jesus in this day and age, and more specifically, what, what I believe and what we believe is the, the number one marker of a follower of Jesus. No matter who you are, how long you've been following, no matter how mature you might be, um, this is constantly going to be something that's challenged, and that is your worship. Uh, we, think it's, we believe it's brave to worship, and as a follower of Jesus, um, that's a commitment to live a life that is marked by worship. So what is worship? And we're going to get into our, our passage in a little bit. But what is worship? Uh, it's not music. It's not a, a, a genre. It's not a radio station. It's not a portion of our large gathering. Worship is a lifestyle that places God as the number one priority. It's an appropriate response to who God is and what he's done for us. But we live in a time where no being seems worthy of our reverence, and certainly not our best time, energy, or resources. The idea that there's a God who created us, saved us, and wants our lives to revolve around his purposes sounds crazy to most people. To the general culture, this sounds restricting. It sounds confining. It sounds unjust, even unfair, to live according to the teachings found in a book written thousands of years ago. But according to those teachings, and according to the revealed word of God, we were created to worship him, not ourselves and certainly not others or things. John Piper writes, worshiping God is the duty of every human being. The basis of this truth is this. If the very son of God counts it his duty to obey the command to worship God, then how much more must we count it our duty to obey this command? So if you have a Bible with you this morning or you want to follow along on your phone, it'll also be on the screen behind me. We're going to go to Luke 4, Luke chapter 4. And in today's passage, we're going to look at the first time that we see Jesus tempted to stop worshiping. And through this, we'll, we'll be looking at three very um, common struggles that every single one of us, again, no matter how mature you are or how long you've been following, three temptations that Every one of us will face. I mean, if Jesus faced them, we will face them, right? And so through it, we're going to look at, at how Jesus responded and what the implications might be for our lives. So to provide a little context before we jump in, what do we know about this well-known story? Uh, it lasted 40 days, and it was not an accident or a coincidence. It continued for 40 days, just as Israel's wanderings uh, and temptation continued for 40 years in the wilderness, Um, So for forty days it it was symbolic of something that had happened in the in the people of God's past, and all throughout the story, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapters six and eight to confirm that he was thinking about the experience that Israel had in the wilderness. So let's take a look at these these three temptations. Starting in verse one, it says, "Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days." And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So this first temptation was about physical need. Jesus countered this, this uh, temptation by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, in which Moses had reminded the people of the manna which God had given them to eat. So that was for 40 40 years while they were living in the desert, God was providing manna that would fall from heaven every morning fresh. But they couldn't save it. They couldn't store it away for the next day. They had to trust every day. God was teaching them to to view him as their resource and their their provision for their very existence. They had to believe that God's word was trustworthy. And each day they had to to trust. They they couldn't hold back. um, And they lived by the will of God who provided. Sorry, I'm just getting a little lost here. I'm going to be a little bit note heavy today just because I, I studied a lot this week and I want to, want to say it right. But, um, and if you're taking notes, I don't know if there's a, a paper yet, but feel free to write these three things down. So Jesus knew that he wouldn't die in the wilderness because he knew that that was not God's will. So when you know God's word for your life, you can trust his will to provide. And because God's will is reality, when we live according to this will, we place our very existence in his hands and can be confident in his provision. Uh, this is what it means to live not on bread alone. It's not just about your food. It's saying, my very, if my very existence is in God's hands, uh, how much smaller do a lot of my other needs or concerns become? So as a follower of Jesus, we live in this this reality, and, and it silences our anxiety, it causes fearful thoughts to lose their power, and it brings peace to a troubled heart. And maybe you're in a desert this morning like Israel that traveled in circles around the promised land that God had for them for 40 years, an entire generation didn't get to enter into the promised land and maybe, maybe that's how you feel about some things in your life. You've been spinning your wheels. You, you know God's word, but you're not quite ready to fully trust. And God wants to deliver on each and every one of those promises. But because we were created with free will, we have to choose. We have to choose to follow his word for our lives. And you can't have the promises of God on your terms. You have to choose his way. So God wants our worship. He wants us to recognize our need for him. And that's so much more than bread alone. That's so much more than paying the bills, providing, all those things that he does care about. But he wants, he wants to be more in our lives than just the provision of our basic needs. He wants us to see him as, as the, our reason for existence. So continuing in verse 5, it says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So Jesus answered. He said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The second temptation was having to do with glory and dominion. What Luke recorded was an offer for Jesus to be in control of all the kingdoms of the world if he would worship Satan. This condition, uh, was he used the Greek word, the Hebrew word, which meant to bend the knee to. So though Jesus would have rulership, um, he'd be depending on Satan for his authority. Uh, Jesus again refers to Moses when he combats this temptation. In Deuteronomy 6.13, Moses warned the people about their attitude when they finally entered the promised land. Uh, The temptation for them would be to praise themselves and forget to worship God. So by quoting this verse, and I love how Jesus, his response to man, over and over again, we see when people are, are um, criticizing Him, asking him tough questions, he just quotes Scripture. I love that. He just throws it back to something that God's already said, it's the perfect answer. It, it, makes, it makes me want to know more, uh, among other reasons, because I mean, I can't think of the last time that I answered someone's question quoting a scripture. Can you? But how awesome, how awesome would that be if you, knew, if you knew God's word that well, that you could just respond? I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. But. So he quotes this verse, and he, he says, Jesus showed him that he wouldn't make a mistake. He would, not give, um, he would give God the credit and not take it for himself. He'd not fail the way that Israel did. And this is the temptation that follows the promise. The testing doesn't end. In, in a lot of ways, we're probably more vulnerable when we're in the promised land or we have the promises, um, to think that maybe we didn't need God to get them. Um, that, that's maybe the greatest temptation for a lot of us to stop worshiping is when we're not in the hard time and we have the things that, that we've been waiting for, the fulfillment of the, our dreams. And, and when, when we were in that place, it's hard sometimes to not continue recognizing where they came from, to actually think that we're that good that we've made that we can make things happen on our own. CS Lewis wrote a book under the premise of a demon trying to manipulate the thoughts of humans away from God and towards sin. And it's a it's a fictional tale, but it's it's very eye-opening and there's a quote from it. He says, "Prosperity knits a man to the world." He feels that he's finding his place in it, while really it's finding his place in him. You know, success for the sake of success or all of these different motivations, when our worship isn't in the right place, it can, it can, it can corrupt. Uh, but when we seek first the kingdom of God and our lives are connected to his purposes, we see prosperity, having more than enough, or having enough to bless others as that very reason, as, as something that, that we're able to give to help other people that have something that we need. So when you're in the middle of blessing... And continue to worship, God knows that he can, he can bless you with even more, because he knows what you'll do with it. What if we considered the areas in our lives where we just are uncommonly blessed? We seem to have more than enough in that area, and then we looked around and, and, and identified people that needs some of that, that need help. It could be wisdom in a certain field. It, it's, it could be resource. It could be a connection. There's so many different ways that we can be a blessing to one another. Um, and so that's where it starts. But verse 9, let's continue. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, not, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So the third temptation was about, about timing. The implication was that to receive the acceptance of people without going to the cross would be to question whether God was really in the plan at all. And that was exactly the situation that Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy 6.16 that Jesus quoted. Moses was referring to a time when the people wondered whether God was really with them. But Jesus was confident of the fact that God was with him and that the Father's plan and timing was perfect. So Jesus didn't give in. And when we question God's timing in our lives, we're actually questioning his relevance. Um, Have you ever wanted something so bad that you tried to have it? before it was time to have it. Like dessert before dinner, right? Um, The car you really can't afford, married life before marriage, deep friendship without investing, or the dream job minus the work. You cannot have the full blessing of God without living God's way. And and that's a really difficult lesson to learn for a lot of us. Uh, I know it's, it's constantly been a challenge for me. When I feel like I'm going in circles around the thing that I actually want, that's a point to stop and go, am I trying to pursue the blessings of God without fully pursuing him? That means waiting on him and being faithful. Even when you don't understand or you're being misunderstood, the blessing of God is more about who you're becoming than what you have and when you have it. So in closing, I wanna share a story with you. It goes like this. Suppose you're a kid playing in the streets outside the mansion of the king. And the king's own son comes out and starts to play with you. And after a while, he invites you to come home with him and meet his father. And at first, you decline in fear. I'm just a peasant. I don't have a noble name. My clothes are all dirty. I'm not fit to visit the king. But he just smiles and says, that's okay. If you're my friend, he won't mind. So you follow the son of the king through the huge gate. Your heart is beating so hard you can see it moving your shirt. And it occurs to you that you've never met a king before and have no idea how to approach him. But the happy stride of your friend, the king's son, puts you at ease, and it reminds you that the king is his father. They no doubt have a wonderful relationship. Everything will be all right. So by the time you reach the king's chamber, you're feeling at ease. And then something utterly unexpected happens as the son knocks at the chamber door and hears the deep welcome from the other side. His whole demeanor changes. His gaiety turns to gravity. Not grief or sadness, just gravity. Like something weighty is about to happen. And the change isn't artificial like when an actor's joking behind a stage and then quickly puts on a new face to go on stage and be sad. The change wasn't like that at all. It was more like when a mountain climbing team is driving toward the mountain, they aim to scale. They're joking and laughing about former good times. Then all of a sudden, they round a curve. And for the first time, they see the massive face of the mountain. And inside the car, there is silence as they drive on and stare. The laughter wasn't phony, it was real and good, and the silence and awe in the car isn't phony, it is real and it is good too. But the son puts his hand on the long door handle of the king's chamber, opens the door, and his face meets the king's in the most natural manner. Then he kneels and puts both knees and his face down on the floor of the king's chamber, and he waits. It didn't take any great chain of reasoning for for you to know exactly what you must do. You had never read it in a book, your mother had never told you, but you knew if the son of the king bows before his father in holy silence, this peasant child better get on his face before the king. So this morning, the band's going to join me, and I want to take a moment for us, you know, it's, 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 it's no longer about what you know about worship, or what you know about God, or don't know, it, it, it's time to have a moment for us to just go, God, examine my heart. Examine my heart and and reveal the things in my life that might not be in alignment with your word for me, with with the path to the promises that you have for me. And so if you'll bow your heads and join me, let's pray before we do that. But God, I just pray this morning, as we come before you as your children, as your son has has led us to you, God, I pray that your spirit uh, would would comfort, comfort our souls, comfort our hearts. And I pray that your kindness, your love, um, that that you would speak to us, that you would show us what it is, maybe some of the dreams that we've forgotten about. I pray that you would, you would remind us that you've been there uh, guiding us and speaking direction and trying to, to show us the ways that you, that you have for us. And so Lord, I pray for everyone this morning as, as we worship you, as it is our Our duty to do so is to worship you in response to the great grace that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.